Hello. Happy Monday or Tuesday or whatever day this comes out. It's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast. It's about wrestling and MMA and those things happening at the same time. And yeah, I just uh, there were there were events recently. There was an event this past weekend, UFC Vegas 18, and there's a pay-per-view card, UFC 258, coming up. So the entire podcast is going to be about those two things. I don't think I'll talk about anything else, so uh, get ready to hear some fight recaps and a couple of predictions or analytical notes for future fights coming up. Uh, I was pretty happy with the UFC Vegas 18 card, uh, which was headlined by Volkov versus Overeem. Uh, there was a decent amount of wrestling, and it was uh, pretty good stuff, and I, I definitely have things to say about it, so let's go from early card to to late card. Let's go in chronological order. I missed a couple of prelims, so unfortunately, no team more value of discussion. I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about uh, Lara Procopio. I don't know how to say that. Although that just, it really did make me think of the, uh, the pressure grappler discussion we had on the last prediction panel, uh, the, the round robin of violence. Check that out if you haven't heard it yet, but we had a long discussion in there about you know, MMA fighters really having a hard time with pressure grapplers. It's definitely the most overpowered build, <laughs> if we're going to talk about D&D terms, um, which not everyone likes for, for sports. But, you know, just, just as an approach to fighting, ringcraft is a big issue in MMA, so to be the one who takes the front foot and then exploits that bad ringcraft by being able to wrestle in the cage, that that's working really well right now, so... If you're getting into MMA and you have a you have time, maybe maybe try being a pressure grappler. I, I doubt Ringcraft will have improved drastically in the five ten years it takes you to get good. So that fight happened, and uh, yeah, the prelims were mostly mostly striking. Otherwise, main card. I'm not going to talk about Danilo Marquez versus Mike Rodriguez, although I think Rodriguez was doing a decent job defending a couple of those takedown attempts, but uh. As his nickname suggests, he is slow, and uh, he was just not not getting to the positions he needed to or, or making the adjustments he needed to fast enough for them to work. So he, he had some good ideas, but not important enough for me to discuss. Here's the good stuff. Benil Dariush versus Carlos Diego Fajaya. So this is two pressure grapplers fighting each other, which you always have to wonder who's going to be able to put the other one on the back foot. Uh, I think Dariush was more content to try to counter CDF and, and you know, put him off of his game plan. And he got a look at that really early with that huge counter knee to the body. Uh, and that, that definitely hurt CDF and allowed uh, Dariush to turn it around and start grappling him on the cage. And then as the fight progressed, I think uh, CDF was respecting Dariush's power a little more. And then Dariush was able to open up and pressure him and, and turned out to show that he's he's better in a lot of respects than CDF. They were exchanging in the pocket a decent amount. It was pretty messy. Dariush wasn't doing anything pretty, but he was getting CDF to the positions he wanted. He was wrestling him on the cage. Now, nothing he was doing on the cage was particularly amazing, but I mean, he was getting to his singles, he was getting to his doubles, he was trying some interesting finishes, like, uh, you know, a lot of the times when people, like, get deep on a shot or, you know, deep on, like, an underhook or a body lock, 
the other person turns their back to start fighting the hands and, and just kind of concedes because they'd rather be in that rear standing position rather than having their butt on the ground uh, after being taken down. So you saw that a little bit here. Darius did a cool thing where he, uh, you know, he, he had that outside trip finish going on his uh, on his double, you know, or on the body lock. You know, people in the cage, they have whatever they have, and then they uh, loop around that, that far side leg. Uh, let's call it the right side. And this time, instead of doing one, he actually swiveled both legs behind and, and really blocked that main leg and was able to drag him over that, that block, um, which is pretty cool. He, d he did a few nice things as a wrestler, and when they scrambled, he was really good at getting height and keeping his posts and, you know, just very technical stuff. Nothing, like I said, nothing too pretty, but Benil Darius is a good fundamental wrestler. I, I was impressed by that. Um, I felt the opposite way about Carlos Diego Fajaya. He had some flashy moves. He had some dynamic uh, moments. He definitely has a, has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. But what was missing for Carlos Diego Fajaya was the fundamental movements, like when he has his back taken or when you know Benil Darius isn't on a leg. He's not like focusing on fighting hands. He's not you know trying to like, get his ties, the knees. He's not making those small like, incremental adjustments. He's looking for big things to change the position. And, you know, when you're that level of grappler, usually you want it on the ground, so you're willing just to do stuff to make it into a grappling match and stop wrestling. But Benil Darius is a comparable level of grappler, and he won their first fight by, you know, top gaming him and grappling him on the top position. So you don't want to be on your back. He uh, he went for, like, a flying triangle or even maybe a flying omoplata the way it was positioned uh, off of Darius's shot. Uh, which I thought was questionable. And yeah, just basically every grappling sequence, he opted for something counter-specific or something something that was going to make a big difference rather than just trying to escape the position, get back to his feet, and get to his pressure. But again, that wasn't working that well either. So it's like he was having a hard time deciding how he was supposed to win that fight after he realized it wouldn't be so easy to pressure Darius. So... Kind of a, a rough performance from uh, CDF. It wasn't like super one-sided or anything. Just technically, or maybe more even tactically, he he looked a little lost. He he didn't do a good job adjusting in that fight. He made some bad decisions. Whereas Dariush, while not everything was very polished or physically impressive, he was doing all the things he needed to do. He wasn't making any big mistakes. And uh, I don't know. I was just really impressed impressed by the performance of Dariush. And he's kind of always been that guy. But now that he's older and, you know, I have a little less faith in him to perform, it's, it's really cool how he, he has such a, not a clean performance, but such a, a dutiful, workmanlike performance where he's not making, he's doing everything he needs to do. So I really like that. Uh, I really like Benil Dariush. That was, that was impressive. Uh, Carlos Deco Fajaya, you know, feels like he's new in the division, like he's you know, been this guy who's, like, breaking out. He's in his mid-30s at this point, so it just took him a long time to get to this point in his career, but he's pretty much, you know, either at the tail end of his prime or post-prime, physically. At this point, the things that need to change for him are, there's a lot of learning that needs to take place, there's a lot of uh, skill refinement, I think maybe this is as high as he goes. I mean, there are other matchups in the, like, the 7 to 15 range that I think he can win. Like, if he fought Dan Hooker, I think that might be kind of an IQ test, just because Dan Hooker's not a good grappler or wrestler. But 
you know, you have to be smart about how you get him there. You gotta make good decisions while you're wrestling and grappling. So, you know, I think he could win that one, and that's a high-ranked matchup. So it's not like he can't beat anyone ranked, but I just... I don't think he's a title contender, uh, unfortunately. And uh, if he had fought Khabib or anything like that, or any other pressure grappler for that matter, it would have been pretty rough. Um, so, sad to see for CDF, but Benil Dariush, really cool. Um, I liked I liked that performance for him. Next, you had uh, Alessandro Pantoja versus Manel Cape. Um, I, I was interested in this one to see, you know, how, how Cape's approaching it, because this, this is definitely a fight that he was going to have to game plan for and approach a specific way, because a lot of his offense is very bursty, you know, a, lot of, a lot of, you know, blitzing in, bursting in, a lot of explosive movements forward, and that's, you know, bait for, for reactive takedowns, which is definitely something that Pantoja has in his arsenal. So, you know, if you're Cape, you're like, yeah, I can outtrack this guy for sure. But I don't want to get taken down and you know be on the ground with him because I got grappled by uh, Sasaki not too long ago. So for Cape, it's like, okay, what's he gonna do to try to win this one? I, I believe I said it on on the podcast, the MMA podcast with Shreeram, that he's probably gonna take the back foot and try to get Pantoja to lead and counter him. That's what he did against like Kai Asakura. A lot of a lot of his performances where he counterpunched. It was him just kind of like coming in a little bit, coming in a little bit trying to get them to throw back and then you know forcing them to take a committed lead uh, maybe overextend themselves on a combination or something and crack them and counter that way like burst in when they're slightly out of range um, so he was definitely trying that and he looked all right with regard to like ring craft and stuff like that he was circling out well but Pantosha shut him down pretty easily just by round kicking <laughs> he cut off the retreats uh, he was just punting his leg every time he circled after he did it a couple times, and uh, Ben Cape was like, okay, I'll stop circling, and just kind of stood in front of him and, and went back and forth with him, but even though Pantoja wasn't, like, counter-punching him or anything, it, he just was having a hard time. He wasn't pulling the trigger on the lead, and it's like, okay, you, you need to do this now, especially after the first round. It's like, okay, you just lost that round standing there and getting kicked. Do, do something else, and I didn't really see that from him. But, you know, more relevant to this podcast, what I did see from him was offensive wrestling. It was kind of like a, a throwaway at the end of the second round. Like, he, like, took a single and, like, tr almost treetopped him. I was like, okay, whatever. And then the third round towards the end, he was, like, shooting doubles and turning the corner and running his feet. And, like, looked really good. <laughs> really good at double legs. Like, his wrestling, like, was really solid. And it was so weird. Also, Pantoja you know, I think neglects his defensive wrestling a little bit because he's like, oh, people aren't going to want to grapple with me. He probably only works his offensive wrestling, but yeah, Manel Cape looked uh, like a pretty good wrestler, but overall, definitely a failure from a fight IQ perspective. Uh, to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe those kicks did a number on him pretty early and made it tough for him to uh, try to generate anything in terms of the comeback. I think that's likely. I think that could definitely be the case, but uh, yeah, that was tough. That was tough to watch if you're looking for him to look good. Uh, but a smart, smart performance by Pantoja besides the third round where he said, uh, F it, and started uh, doing some uh, pumping forward combinations, uh, Forrest Griffin style, which I do not like. Clay Guida versus Michael Johnson was a better fight than I think most people thought it could be. Uh, first of all, Clay Guida looks a lot better 
not physically, but like the things he does in fights, it's a lot better than it used to be. He actually throws his punches now. He kicks. He he's actually like is a normal looking striker, uh, which makes it a lot easier for him to pressure and a lot easier for him to create takedown opportunities instead of just like being jittery and like none of your striking being real, <laughs> which is what he used to be in his prime. Uh, and then Michael Johnson definitely looked like he lost a step physically. I mean, he has for a few years now, but um, he was having a tough time like finding the counters against Guida, and he was, you know, obviously his hands were dropped and he was looking to catch takedowns and catch underhooks, but that actually made it easier for Guida to hit him, so it made it a competitive striking matchup. Uh, but he was doing a good job catching underhooks, and he was doing a good job in a lot of those wrestling positions. I thought uh, a lot of the time he was doing the right thing. He he definitely worked hard on his wrestling in this one. I mean, he is a wrestler, so he knows what he's supposed to do. You just need to have those reactions drilled in so you're not thinking about it. You just got to, you know, be doing a lot of wrestling, which I think he doesn't like to do. Um, yeah, I thought he was, he was making a lot of good decisions, and then as he got more tired, it was just harder to stick to it, and he started slipping up here here and there just making smaller mistakes and it's it's no one big thing with him that's that's the funny thing especially in this fight it was no one big mistake it was just like little little gaps that just build up that just add up so just michael johnson like so consistently having these things happen to him is really weird to me because it really it does it never looks like it's one one thing he just kind of lets the lets the advantage creep in and it builds, and, and it becomes something bigger, but I, I don't know. That was weird, but I liked that fight, so watch our commentary. Uh, we did a commentary on the main card for Rom and I on Patreon, uh, just the fight site on Patreon, but we have, like, the whole event video, us watching it, and, uh, yeah, we do, I did, you know, wrestling breakdowns, whatever there was wrestling, so, uh, the Daryush fight, the, a little bit of the Cape fight, and this fight, especially, I did a lot of wrestling breakdowns on that, um, the main event had no no wrestling because Overeem couldn't pressure, so ignoring that one. Uh, Sandhagen Edgar ended in 28 seconds, <laughs> which uh, I, I'm not I'm not mad at that. I would have liked to see it be a fight, but I, I wanted Sandhagen to win, so I'm cool with that. But did Sandhagen prove that he learned anything after the Sterling fight? Well, he took the back foot. Edgar was pressuring pretty uh, committedly. And it was working. He was getting him back to the cage. And Sandhagen was, like, throwing low kicks off the back foot. And that's exactly what he did to Sterling. That got him taken down against the cage. Maybe it was a body kick against Sterling. I don't remember. But kicking off the back foot. I mean, that's what Gaethje did to Khabib, too. I, I don't love that. Um, I think you need to do a little bit more. But then the little bit more they did was launch into a flying knee with his back to the cage. Um, do you want to call that a counter-wrestler tactic? Yeah, I mean, inherently flying knees are a counter-wrestler tactic. Um, but I would also say that uh, because of the way Edgar is pressuring and their positioning in the cage, you know, with him in a good spot to shoot, any big action is probably going to prompt a reactive shot or, or a level change from your opponent when they're doing that. So... I think the flying knee was a little bit more calculated and educated uh, with the fight, with the matchup in context than most people would like to think. Um, even though it wasn't like Edgar was level changing and then he threw it, 
right? He he basically convinced him to level change because then the moment you see, oh, he's loading up on something, I all all I know is shoot <laughs> when something really big is coming at me like that. Edgar likes to duck his head, so um, that was that was pretty smart. But yeah, cool card. Main event was a little sad, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed it overall. And then we have UFC 258. I'm just going to do a quick scan to see if there are things worth talking about other than the main event. Sort of. Sort of. Um, Ricky Simone will be fighting Brian Kelleher. Brian Kelleher is actually a pretty decent grappler and has some... Uh, okay takedown defense and and some little tricks and, and traps there so i don't know maybe that'll be an interesting fight uh mm, uh Rodolfo Vieira is fighting a striker at middleweight on the prelims uh, and he'll probably show us what he's got with regard to a takedown game which will be very important obviously because he is a top player um so if we're looking for him to move forward in the division we're gonna have to keep an eye on that Bobby Green's fighting Jim Miller. I think they'll probably mostly strike, but Jim Miller obviously is a very good grappler. Bobby Green, not a bad grappler and not a bad wrestler. Uh, Bobby Green's last fight was versus Clay Guida, and he looked he didn't look good at stopping Guida from wrestling him, but he did look good when they wrestled, if that makes sense. He was winning a lot of the wrestling exchanges, so uh, that could be interesting. Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera are having a rematch on the main card. There were a few really nice wrestling moments in that fight, uh, mostly off of Munoz trying to take Rivera down. Rivera is one of the toughest people to take down in the UFC, one, just because of the base wrestling skill, but also his attributes, his stature, stuff like that. Um, so I think they'll probably mostly strike still, but that that's a cool one. I like that. Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinisch. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum hasn't offensively wrestled against many people lately. He did lateral drop. Jack Hermanson, but then he got submitted, so maybe he won't do that. <laughs> uh, Ian Heinisch seems to only win fights, well, until his most recent one, but before that, he seemed to only win fights against grapplers who got tired trying to wrestle him, because he's very difficult to wrestle, um, but then he knocked out Mirshart, so I don't know. I don't know. There are basically two performances, the uh, Cesar Fajaya and Shoeface fights, where the guy just got tired from trying to grapple him too much. Um... So we'll see. We'll see where Kelvin's at. I think he should probably win that one. But Heinish has been looking a little bit better as of late. And then there's the main event. So on paper, you have Gilbert Burns as the better grappler, the worst wrestler, and probably a slightly worse striker. I think that's fair. I think he's a little more natural as a striker. You know, he likes he likes to bang, bro. He likes to throw hard in the pocket. He likes to kick. You know, he, he's he's a hoofed guy. Um, I don't think he's particularly explosive, but he's a, he's a hitter for sure, uh, and he's strong, and he's he's a good athlete. Then you have Usman, who's you know, still one of the better strikers in the division, I think, you know, just based on what he did to Colby Covington. Uh, you could say that fight was fairly competitive on the feet, but Usman was definitely hitting him more and harder and working his body, and he knocked him out, so it's hard to argue. Um... Obviously the best wrestler in the division, one of the best wrestlers in the UFC. It's pretty pretty inarguable at this point. I've written a couple articles about him, uh, especially about his performance against Jorge Masvidal, which I thought was a really nice demonstration of all the different ways he can wrestle in fights. And 
Yeah, I... I, I don't want to make it sound like it's binary, but... I don't think Burns can take down Usman. I think Usman can take down Burns. Burns isn't really a threat off his back. It's not the kind of grappler he is. And he doesn't really have the ring craft to dictate where the wrestling is taking place or where the fight's taking place at all. Uh, if you watch his fights against Gilbert Burns or Alexei Kunchenko, you'll see that he's all over the cage and it's basically wherever they want to put him. Uh, Gilbert Burns put his back to the fence a lot. Gilbert Burns, uh, not Gilbert Burns, Gunnar Nelson put his back to the cage a lot. Gilbert, uh, Gunnar Nelson, I'm going to screw this up a bunch of times. Gunnar Nelson took him down multiple times. Uh, Alexei Kunchenko pressured him a decent amount, got him to the cage. Uh, both of those guys did a decent job defending against Burns wrestling. They got taken down, but it didn't look like he was a lights-out offensive wrestler, although I think that is the strongest part of his wrestling. But, uh, yeah, he was getting put on the cage a lot. Uh, Gunnar Nelson held him there for a considerable amount of time. Gunnar Nelson's a little bit underrated as a clinch grappler. I mean, he has his body lock games. So obviously, that's facilitated by the clinch because, you know, that's a clinch position. Um, but, I mean, like, Leon Edwards definitely beat him up in the clinch. It was, like, fairly competitive there a little bit. So, Gunnar Nelson a little bit underrated as a grappler. So, you can't say, like, oh, he got, you know, moved around a lot by Gunnar Nelson. He's doomed, you know, because Gunnar Nelson's so bad. He's not. He's good. But his issues are very much not grappling or wrestling-centric. Uh, but on the other hand, you can't be having a hard time with those guys in the positions where Kamaru Usman's very good. Um, definitely, you know, in all of MMA, the best guy to have you on the cage. You know, no one's better in that position than Kamaru Usman. So, you gotta be able to stop yourself from being put there, and he just doesn't seem to have much other than linear retreats on the back foot, so I feel like Usman's gonna put him there pretty easily if he wants to. Uh, he's not a bigger hitter than Usman. Uh, he's not going to have like a counter game on the back foot to stop him. Uh, I, I feel like things are... Even if he can strike competitively with Usman, which I think he can, I think on the feet it'll be a little bit close. But just, he's going to end up on the cage <laughs> if, if they have exchanges. It's just going to happen. And if he tries to pressure Usman, I feel like Usman can just, you know, intercept and, and grapple him and, the, and then they're wrestling. You know what I mean? So the odds of him taking Usman down are so low. The odds of Usman taking him down if he wants to are so high, but honestly, he might not even take him down. He might just you know, beat him up against the cage. And uh, the reason why I'm a little more confident in this is because when it comes to cardio, when it comes to endurance, like what the fight's going to look like down the stretch, Usman's going to get stronger. Burns is going to slow down. Uh, he He does that. He isn't gassed dramatically, but he, he does get a little bit worse as the fight wears on. He's been in tough fights. He's uh, he's pushed ahead, but uh, he did seem pretty tired at the end of that uh, Konchenko fight. And uh, it's it just happened in the past. This is, you know, ancient history, but Michelle Prezerich also uh, did wrestle Gilbert Burns. So that's, that's possible. That's a possible avenue. So, yeah, I, I don't love this fight for Gilbert Burns. It just seems like all of his weaknesses are really well made for Usman. Usman seems very confident about it. Um, I don't know. You could say that most of the chance in this fight is uh, Burns catching him on the feet, which is certainly possible. He swings hard in the pocket. Usman isn't great there. Usman's defense can be a little static. He can kind of get stuck and freeze up and get hit sometimes. 
Um, you saw it against Masvidal, you saw it against Covington. But his chin also seems very good. <laughs> so I'm not thinking that that's going to be, like, immediately something that works. I think he's going to need to have multiple exchanges where he can be hitting him hard to find his opportunity to, to win the fight. But I, I just think it's going to go downhill for Burns. I don't think it's a good matchup for him. Which is a shame because, like, with their comparative... Is that a word? I don't know. With their skill sets in comparison to each other, it sounds like it could be a cool fight. But if you can't stop Usman from doing what he wants to do, and if you're a good enough grappler that he doesn't even really want to take you down, uh, most likely, then it just it's it's being set up to be kind of a boring fight. Uh, if that's if Usman does what seems like the best path, which is to pressure and and wrestle in the cage. On the other hand, they're training partners. Maybe Usman has a lot of respect. They were training partners. Maybe Usman has a lot of respect for Burns' ground game. Maybe he feels confident that he can outstrike him. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that could come from them having been long-time training partners. I think there's a strong possibility that Usman just wants to strike with him. You know? I think they might stand and just try to uh, trade, bang it out in the feet. That wouldn't be smart for Usman. It would be great for Burns, but... Even if that's the plan, if things get even like a little bit rough on the feet, then I feel like Usman can just go back to the smart game plan and, and still win that way. So I think uh, Usman's a pretty safe bet. I'm not like uber confident, but just the way it looks on paper, just based on previous fights, it just seems like it's being set up for, for a win for Usman. Is that crazy? I don't know. It seems pretty cut and dry to me. Uh, yeah, I wish I could have spent more time on that just because this is... Yeah, Usman's one of the best wrestlers in MMA, so there should be a lot to talk about, but his game isn't that complicated. When he pressures, it's you know behind his jab. Uh, he can hook to cut off retreats. He you know doubles up on his on, on the same side. He can lever punch. He can kick. He can round kick. Um, he can catch and parry kicks. He can counter with counter kicks. Um, he can hit reactive shots. He can shoot in the cage. He can finish upper body. Can basically do everything. Uh, if you ta try to take him down, he has great counters. He has great, you know, fundamental defense. He's a great scrambler. He's a great grappler. He's a, one of the best athletes in the UFC. He's, there's a reason he's very difficult to beat. I think you need a strong anti-wrestler with really good ring craft who can uh, punish him in the pocket, and that's just not what Burns is. Um, I'm looking forward to a rematch with Leon Edwards. Hopefully, we can get there. Leon Edwards is someone that could probably contend with him a good bit in the cage and is good off the back foot and could, you know, make it a difficult fight. I think it ends up being Usman's kind of fight still, but it's just more competitive than it usually is. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Someone like Wonderboy in his prime could be kind of interesting, but at this point, I don't find it that interesting. Welterweight's weird. I don't. There aren't, like, a ton of guys that I see as good matchups to beat Usman, so... Boring podcast and <laughs> boring fight prediction, but I just, I don't, I'm not feeling good about it. Um, if Burns wins, this can be like the opposite of the Poirier-McGregor loading tour where everyone can say like, oh, you were so confident, look how stupid you are. So, you know, maybe, maybe this will be an opportunity for people to make fun of me. But if Burns wins, I feel like it's because he clips him on the feet, not because he's able to enforce any sort of defensive or offensive wrestling 
game plan. But yeah, let's see how this ages. I'm, I'm looking forward to the fights, some of them. The card overall is pretty bad, but uh, I'm looking forward to a couple of them. So we'll see, and you can listen to more more of my thoughts and get Shriram's input on the MMA podcast, which will probably be out one day after this one. So that's all for now. And uh, if there's nothing interesting after this, then maybe I'll do uh, questions again, because I do enjoy the questions. All right, bye-bye.